In today's episode, we enter the bizarre world of AI art. The mites that live in our pores are facing extinction, and researchers are harnessing the power of pee. But first, it was on this day in 1894 that German engineer Carl Benz receives a US patent for the gasoline driven automobile. If you spent any time on the internet recently, you may have stumbled upon a number of surreal yet realistic images of situations you never thought you'd see. For weeks now, threads of absurd, hilarious and sometimes creepy AI-generated images have been taking over our Twitter timelines. Here at the Smart 7, we've seen AI-generated images of Darth Vader ice fishing. Jesus Christ on fire breakdancing. And babies at daycare operating a Fisher-Price guillotine. And the artist bringing life to all of these preposterous situations is the open-source AI called Dali. The name Dali is a portmanteau of the surrealist painter Salvador Dali and the Pixar film Wally. It takes text prompts and generates images from them. In January 2021, OpenAI introduced the first version of the tool, but the second version, which entered a private research beta in April, is a big leap forward. Dolly was created by training a neural network on images and their text descriptions. Through deep learning, it not only understands individual objects, like koala bears and motorcycles, but learns from relationships between objects. So when you ask Dolly for an image of a koala bear riding a motorcycle, it knows exactly how to create it. And it looks just like you'd imagine it in your mind. And that's not all. Dolly 2 can also realistically edit and retouch photos. Based on a simple natural language description, it can fill in or replace part of an image with AI-generated imagery that blends seamlessly with the original. It's both fascinating and terrifying. Creating worlds out of words, Aditya Ramesh is an AI researcher at OpenAI, the umbrella company that developed DALI. Speaking with the This Week in Tech podcast in April, he seems confident that DALI can be part of a future where AI is a safe part of our lives. One of the goals of OpenAI is to develop artificial general intelligence and release it in a way that's both safe and maximally beneficial to humanity. You know, humans don't just work with text. We're also very visual and a lot of what's important to us in the world is is given in the form of images. And so Dali is kind of both a step in that direction, but also a step in the direction of figuring out as we develop more powerful models, what kind of interfaces should be designed for people to use them? Because as time moves forward, both society and AI will kind of evolve and co-adapt with feedback from one kind of channeling research and research resulting in better interfaces and more powerful interfaces for people to work together with AI. And as handy as this too, is what does this mean for the people who make a living from their artistic creations? Mario Klingman is one of these artists and he shared his views with Vox. If 10,000 people have access to that same model, will I still be able to make something that then somebody will want to buy? Or don't they want to rather get their own account and make their own images? And why buy my art when you can just find something probably rather similar? From now, Dali feels like a breakthrough in the history of consumer tech. But as AI advancements come in leaps and bounds, we're still venturing into the unknown. Between deep fakes, deceptive voice augmentation, and now a tool that can seemingly create images out of thin air, there are clearly ethical questions that we need as a society to consider. What happens when these tools end up in the wrong 
wrong hands and should we be worried about our AI future? Ted Underwood is a professor at the University of Illinois and he puts it finely. We are on a voyage here that is it's a bigger deal than, than just like one decade or the immediate technical consequences. It's a change in the way humans imagine, communicate, work with their own culture. And that will have long range good and bad consequences that we, we are just by definition not going to be capable of completely anticipating. Every year, people arrive at base camp in Nepal to fulfil a lifelong dream, to climb Mount Everest, the highest peak in the world. What was once only achievable by elite mountaineers has now become accessible to thousands of tourists and climbers from around the world. And that's part of the problem. Human activity coupled with global warming is having a detrimental effect on Everest's ecosystem, making the ascent unsafe. At an altitude of 5,364 metres above sea level, base camp lies on the Kumbu Glacier. Scientists are warning that the glacier's melting at an alarming rate by as much as one metre every year. Kol Bahadur Gurung is part of the Nepal Mountaineering Association and Shetty's concerns with Al Jazeera. It's issue of melting glacier and the crevasses. Uh, so a bit worrying that maybe in 10 years, you know, we, there'll be no more glacier and crevasses. Climbers and Sherpas say cracks and crevices appear overnight and it's putting their lives at risk. Melted ice is also causing rock falls which can trigger avalanches in the Himalayas. In an attempt to protect a natural environment, the Nepalese government has decided to move Everest Base Camp to a new location, around 300 metres lower, where there's no year-round ice. Certainly this is the right time to advocate and raise the boys together and not only talk or raise the boys, uh, we need to sort it out. So, uh, yeah, of course, base camp has been very congested and every year, but definitely there are more than 1,500 people. So the human waste has been uh, polluted. Around 4,000 litres of urine is dumped at base camp every day. And because climbers spend weeks on the peak adjusting to the altitude, they generate several kilos of waste, most of which is left on the mountain from empty canisters and abandoned camp equipment. All this has created a moral and environmental debate on the human obsession to scale the tallest mountain in the world. Still to come on the Sunday 7, our tiny mites have a mighty problem and scientists discover a plastic-eating worm. The tiny mites that have sex on our faces have a problem. Yep, you heard that right. Deep inside our pores live tiny little creatures that rely on us to survive. Around 90% of us are host to these pore cleaning mites, but they're facing a bit of an issue. A new study has found the mites could be facing a problem as their DNA is eroding. To find out more, we spoke with co-author of the study, Dr. Alejandra Parashi from the University of Reading. Dr. Alejandra, thank you for joining us today. So to start off, where do these mites come from and why do they live on? On our skin. Somehow they adapted to live in the human skin and they became follicular mites. Humans, we can carry two species. One is the Modex folliculorum, the one we studied, and the other is the Modex brevis, that is smaller and less numerous. They uh, got adapted to live inside the follicles, inside the pores of the mammal skin. The tip of your nose is a preferential uh, location for them. We have normally uh, an interesting number of mites living on our noses, but they are in other parts of the body. Uh, They are uh, associated with the nipples and this is related to the transmission. We receive them from our mothers. Your mites come from your mom. 
Should we be worried that we have all these mites all over us? Not at all. They accompany us since we are humans. All true mammals, those that have the mammalian gland and the sebaceous gland that is in the pores, have follicular mites. They are called follicular mites because they live in the follicles of the skin. It's so strange to think that we have tiny mites living in our skin. Have you seen your mites? Of course, you can imagine how many times I look at my mites. <laughs> so what's the problem facing the mites now? What we found is as a process of the evolutionary process of adaptation to live inside the pore, they have a very reduced genome or repertoire of genes. They lose the genes because they don't use them, because they don't need to use them, because they live inside this restricted environment of the pore. They get protection inside the pore, food. They feed on secretions that happen inside the pores. They keep our pores clean and unplugged. So uh, in this process of, of adaptation, they have lost many genes. This process continue and these mites will lose genes that are very important for repairs. And this means that they go towards an evolutionary end and will become extinct. This is the first time that this process is seen in an animal. Most people have had these mites for basically all their lives. What happens if they become extinct and we lose them? Everybody asks me that. I have no idea. <laughs> the mites cannot live outside our skin. They can no longer escape that. So if you try to remove them and to make them live on another skin, for example, or another uh, substratum, they will die. However, have in mind that there are studies, previous and recent studies, that um, found that there are some different populations of mites on, on different hosts around the world, in different regions of the world, and they might be evolving in different ways. I hope this uh, helps for people to to appreciate them in a different way, the way they deserve. Because they are our only companions. It's the only animal that live together with us throughout our whole life. We, If we don't know about this, we live happily. Everyone has the mites. Healthy skin, people with healthy skin all have the mites. So I hope it changes a little bit the view people have of these mites and some of them learn now that they have mites on the skin. Scientists from Australia's University of Queensland have discovered that a type of beetle larvae can digest plastic. The enzymes produced in the gut bacteria of this larvae are able to break down polystyrene. Whilst it may not be the most nutritious of meals, microbiologist Christian Rink says that the larvae can survive eating polystyrene alone. It shreds the polystyrene, eats it, and then basically uh, feeds the bacteria in the gut. And what we have shown is that the bacteria have enzymes encoded that can degrade the polystyrene. So, as you mentioned, uh, what we believe is happening, it's kind of a symbiotic relationship, right? The worm first shreds the polystyrene in smaller parts, and then the microbes then uh, chemically or basically use the enzymes to degrade it further. The scientists hope to eventually engineer the enzyme to better degrade plastic waste. Still to come on the Sunday 7, how human urine could be the sustainable answer to healthier crops and a huge freshwater find in Cambodia. Right after this. 
Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to The Sunday 7. Follow us for your weekday news espresso or maybe try our UK edition. It's all in the usual places. What if human waste could be used to grow food? That's exactly what a group of researchers are hoping to do. Which are urine researchers around the world have been looking into the use of pee as a nutrient-rich, chemical-free fertilizer. This could be groundbreaking considering the shortage in fertilizers that's occurred due to the ongoing war in Ukraine. Analysis that Rabobank have said that Russia exports 20% of the world's nitrogen fertilizers, while Belarus is responsible for 40% of the world's potassium. Combined with the sanctions placed on Russia, farmers around the world have had their supply virtually cut off. Abraham Noe Hayes is the co-founder of Rich Earth Institute. It's a non-profit that has been investigating and developing alternative waste management solutions for decades. For Abraham, using urine as fertilizer is the obvious choice. It's a, it's a sustainably produced, it's already being produced, it's a waste product that we can recycle, repurpose into fertilizer. If you use synthetic fertilizer, nitrogen fertilizer requires natural gas for its production, and that's a non-renewable resource. And the, uh, the phosphorus fertilizer is from a mined resource, rock phosphate, and that's a limited resource as well. To grow, plants need nutrients, nitrogen, phosphorus and potassium. When we eat, we ingest these nutrients before excreting them, mostly through urine. Along with all those lovely nutrients, we also pass pathogens and pharmaceuticals, which would need to be removed in order to protect our water systems. Researchers at the University of Michigan are now developing techniques to safely use urine to fertilize food crops, and they hope to do it in a large scale. Some of the urine can be turned into a solid mineral called struvite. This can be transported and applied as pebbles. Rebecca Lahr is an engineering postdoctoral researcher who's been part of the peace cycling movement. I want to be part of the solution, right? Uh, I spent a lot of time detecting things that are wrong with our water systems. But this project is really targeting a solution, something that we can do to improve the water quality. If we can get the pharmaceuticals out and the nutrients out sooner, um, then maybe we wouldn't have water bodies that, you know, have algal blooms and, and fish kills. As Abraham puts it. Um, there's no doubt that urine can be a safe fertilizer 
for growing any kind of crop. So the question is, are we ready to peace cycle? The historic scientific breakthrough that helped lead the world's fight against COVID-19 through mRNA-based vaccines is being commemorated through an NFT. The digital asset was designed by the University of Pennsylvania and Dr. Drew Wiseman, who pioneered the mRNA modification technology used in both the Pfizer, BioNTech and Moderna vaccines. What's included in the NFT is an incredible animated video that demonstrates how the mRNA platform works as well as a storyboard of explains what's depicted. But probably most importantly is kind of what it symbolizes. And really, it's a type of modified mRNA that was pioneered here at Penn that really helped pave the way for the certain mRNA-based COVID vaccines. And increasingly, it's viewed as one of the world's greatest scientific achievements. That was Craig Carnaroyley, Executive Vice President of the University. The non-fungible token is set to be auctioned by Christie's in July, and proceeds will go to support research at the University of Pennsylvania. A giant stingray discovered in the Mekong River in Cambodia might be the largest freshwater fish ever recorded. The giant stingray measured almost 4 meters from snout to tail and weighed slightly under 300 kg. The previous record for a freshwater fish was a 293 kg Mekong giant catfish discovered in Thailand in 2005. So this stingray simply blows it out of the water. It was caught, recorded and then released back into the Mekong River by a team of of American and Cambodian researchers and fishermen. Zeb Hogan is a fish biologist who shared his thoughts with Reuters. So this is very exciting. It's very exciting news uh, because it was the world's largest fish. It's also very exciting news because it means that this stretch of the Mekong is still healthy. We hear a lot of stories about all the problems with the Mekong River, but this, this is actually a sign of hope that these huge fish still live in the Mekong. The research team named the fish Barami, which translates to full moon. This world's largest fish was the first fish that the team tagged and released back into the river. And that means for the next year, we'll be able to track its movements to learn about the stingray's life. Uh, giant freshwater stingray, they haven't been well studied. We know almost nothing about them. So this is a real opportunity to learn more about one of the world's largest freshwater fish. This has been the Sunday 7. However you're listening, do us a favor and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7 a.m. with a regular Smart 7 Ireland edition. Have a great rest of the weekend. Written, produced, and published by Daft Doris. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Hi, this is Kira from the Smart 7 Ireland edition. Just to let you know, we're pausing this podcast from Friday the 25th of August, but you can still get up to speed in just seven minutes if you search the Smart 7 and catch up with our UK edition. Thanks for listening.